Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. I'm Ryan Coop alongside Michael Garrell, and we are a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This episode of the podcast is brought to you from Treaty 1 territory, traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Cree, Ojakree, Dakota, and Dene peoples, and the homeland of the Métis Nation. Well, the 2021 CFL season is officially over. The Grey Cup was played, uh, I guess, two weeks ago at this point between the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And congratulations to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on back-to-back championships, a thrilling Grey Cup game uh, between the Bombers and the Ticats. We're going to recap that one here today. We're going to touch on things from the season as a whole uh, before we start moving into our off-season content going forward, uh, we got to say goodbye to the 2021 season for one last time here in 2021. To do so, we bring in the other half of the podcast. The great Michael Garrell is here as always. Mike, how are you doing this week? Not bad, not bad. Uh, still trying to come down on, off the high, but was that football game? Um, one thing you'll notice, unlike 2019 is this is not a three-hour episode. Yes. uh, Well, that one, part of that was that was our big 100th episode. I think this was like 123. So, I mean, we could, for what if we wanted to, do three hours. But no, we're going to keep this one to our usual, somewhere between an hour and an hour and a half. Um, But I would argue we almost have more to talk about from this Grey Cup game than that one we did uh, back in 2019. Because that one... Well, yes, it was monumental in the fact that it broke the Bombers' 29-year drought. Um, was a blowout from pretty much start to finish in that game. This game, though, I dare say is one of the best Grey Cup games I have ever seen in my life. I would put this someone up there fittingly. Uh, both of them went to overtime. The other one that jumps to mind is that Calgary-Ottawa one from a couple of years ago that went to overtime. Uh, but certainly this has to be up there in at least in, in, you know, the past decade or so, one of the top couple. Yeah, I, I'd have to paint, but I went back, um, you know, just trying to paint about memorable Ray Cups. Obviously the one, um, the one you referenced there with the snow, uh, Calgary, Toronto comes to mind. Uh, the one that Edmonton wanted the three seed in, in the West comes to mind. Um, I'm not too particularly sure if they won the great Cup in overtime that year or if there was a playoff game that they won but went to overtime. Um, Montreal won a couple thrillers uh, in the last, in the early parts of the 2000s. Um, we can't forget 2009. That one uh, was memorable for uh, one particular reason that involved either 12 or 13 players. I... Correct. Yeah, there's that one that comes to mind as well. Um, you know, it, it's just remarkable, right? Because it, it seems like, and I, I don't know if you've had this thought about the Great Cup, but there's certain games where it's like, and I think this one kind of fits that explanation to a T. You, you kind of see the sloppiness of the CFO in one half. And then it's like you see such great football down the stretch. 
that it's late? Yes, this is what our lead is, and this is what makes it uniquely Canadian. And then it's not the corporateness of handing out the great cup to some guy in a suit and tie that paid a couple million dollars to have the right to help present the present the trophy in that respective lead. And I'm yes, I'm talking about baseball for those that don't know, and the Ford guy episode of a, of a few years ago. But there's something distinctly Canadian about, you know, having members of the RCMP trot the trophy through the stands in most years. I know, I know they didn't do it this year, but I vividly remember it in 19. And there's something about, you know, bringing it in very Canadiana in the last parts of the game to remind people of what we're playing for. And then it's like the reality snaps in that, yes, you know, this is the type of Canadian moment that, you know, the teams are playing for. And it's just, it's uniquely Canadian, to say the least. Yeah, and I think this game couldn't have come at a better time because all of the talk during the week leading up to the Grey Cup, there, you know, there was the state of the league address. There was a lot of discussion around uh, definitely, you know, the scoring in the CFL being down uh, this season quite a bit. Uh, and, you know, how do we keep the game exciting and a lot of the talk? And then, of course, you know, the discussion of, well, do, does the CFL need to move to four downs, which... I've said this in the past on this show, and I say it again. I, I really hope that never ends up being the case. I love the three-down game so much. Um, and it's almost like this came at a fitting time because for all the talk about the entertainment value of the CFL, this game was entertainment at its finest. Like, you can't ask for a better ending to your season. And I dare say, yes, there was, you know, a bit of a, a slow go at times throughout the regular season. There were the fair share of, you know, ugly football games in there. But I thought all five playoff games this year were fantastic uh, games uh, in their own right. So uh, kudos to the CFL definitely on, you know, uh, and the teams playing on some really hard fought playoff games. And uh, this one was just the pinnacle of that. Yeah, and you know, one thing I was I was just kind of thinking about, you know, between the Grey Cup and now that everything's over, I can't recall seeing that young of a crowd at IG Field. Well, when I when I really think about it, um, and I know this has nothing to do with what what we're, what we're talking about right now, but it's. Just, an idea of it popped into into my head here as as we go. But the bombers have done a terrific job of marketing the CFL, marketing the team to your average person that is not a diehard CFL fan. Because I don't know about you, but the week of the West final and particularly the week of the Great Cup, I was hearing from people that are furthest from, you know, Blue Bomber fans. And there were 
I don't want to say you're casual observers who had never watched a Bomber game before or never, I don't want to say they've never cared, but they've never had the interest in watching uh, CFL football. And, you know, just exchanging texts and messages with these people during the game. They're like, oh, it doesn't look good, it doesn't look good. And I, I kept saying, you know, it, it's a CFL, you know, anything can happen, give it a chance. And, you, you know, when the Bombers rallied, all I, all I saw was, all I saw was, wow. It that changed in a hurry. And I'm like, welcome to the CFL. Yeah. And they just draw these people in, uh, in Winnipeg. But, you know, I would not uh, suspect to see, uh, be football fans. And if every team could make that same effort using various, uh, methods in their market, I think it would benefit the lead. But I was just blown away by, by the interest in this football team, you know, from the people that I least expected to be interested. And if all nine teams can kind of channel that and get your casual fans on board, there's a whole bunch of people that went to Bomber games this year that I know but had never been to a Bomber game that are going for the entertainment purposes which, you know, Wade Miller has done a great job of, you know, building since he's been with the team. And they wind up falling in love with the game once they watch the game and actually, you know, get in the door and, and see what what it's all about. And, you know, I, I've long said this, Ryan, I don't believe the, the issue is four downs or anything with the rules or anything like that. I think it's the way it's marketed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you can step up a marketing in each market and market together, and now they have a revenue sharing plan, which is two thumbs up from me, although it's not your prototypical rev- revenue sharing plan from what I've read. Um, only certain parts of the, um, only certain parts of the money get split. Other other parts of the revenue stay with the teams, obviously. But I think the CFL's biggest issue is marketing. And there's a lot of things that could be done to attract the younger audience. I don't know about you, but remember that mobile game they used to have? Yeah. It's, have you heard anything about it in the past year or two? Like, Yeah, and, and they need to do more things like that to attract the younger audience, and I hate to say it. In, in some markets, they need to lower the ticket price because if you want your younger audiences to come to these games, the average younger person that you're trying to target does not have between 25 and $50 usually for one ticket. So, you know, I, I think as much as people, you know, go on about all oh, the on-field product isn't, isn't great as far as, you know, offenses down and, you know, should we go to four downs and, you know, should we look at the, you know, everything is on the table basically according to the commissioner at his state of, state of the lead address. 
Maybe you need to work on the marketing aspect of it a little bit and find a way to get younger people to the games. And I, and I think if you can find a way to make it an event rather than a football game, I think that's how you latch on to the casual viewer. Yeah. the casual yeah, I, I agree entirely here. Like, uh, to me, I, I think the game itself, I think there are some tweaks you can maybe make with a couple rules here and there that aren't going to be groundbreaking and changing the fundamentals of why a lot of people love the CFL today. Because I think that's a dangerous, uh, dangerous place to go to. You know, how do we change this to attract more people, but without you know, losing some of the big reason people love the game today. And I think three downs is a large part of that. But to me, it comes to marketing as well. The biggest asset the CFL has to itself in its success is the relatability of the players. Like I I see, you hear stories all the time of, you know, players uh, interacting with fans and things like that, that you just don't get as much necessarily from the big leagues So you have these great personalities that, uh, you know, you have a lot of guys always talking about, you know, at the end of the season, you know, possibly, you know, founding a house here in the city. I know I've seen some guys talking about that where, you know, they've lived, say they they come from the States, but they love it so much here. They want to be a part of the community all year round in between seasons. Like market the stories of those players more is what I would like to see. Really just make the story of the CFL about the players and the personalities, because this league is full of such great personalities. And I think, uh, you know, a little bit more marketing of that on things like social media. Uh, you know, you can leverage all the, the new social media platforms there as well. Uh, I'm not on TikTok personally, so I don't know. How, how big the CFL's presence is there. I, I've heard it's not, you know, super strong. I, I think it's gaining a bit of speed potentially, but but just pumping out the content on, on platforms like that, I, I think uh, would help. And like you mentioned, you know, things like the website, the mobile apps and stuff. While you were just talking, Mike, I, I went to my app store on my cellular device and typed in CFL and there is nothing there. The, the mobile uh, the mobile game you mentioned that they released a year or two ago does not look like it's available in the app store. And the actual CFL app itself, which I use pretty regularly to check the scores, uh, I've been reading some complaints online about it, uh, you know, it being a little bit buggy and it looks like it's been pulled from the store entirely. So not only that, the, you know, on the website itself, uh, if I'm using Google Chrome and I click on the news tab, I get a blank tab. Like there's so many of these things that somebody, you know, trying to follow along to the week, I think it's things like this that, you know, could be shored up a little bit and would help, uh, you know, a little bit with attracting uh, fans, especially, you know, having the mobile app is pretty helpful if you you know, have all of these people in the betting crowd and in, in the fantasy sports crowd uh, wanting to check the stats, check the scores, things like that. So I, I hope the CFL spends some time this offseason on things like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited. One of the things that came out during the State of the League address was the, the new data partnership the CFL has going forward, uh, where it seems like they're going to be overhauling their data systems, which 
as a guy who crunches the stats and the box scores and everything uh, to go through and, you know, crunch the fantasy stats for fantasy content every week, um, I'm very excited about that because uh, a lot of times it's hard to find some of the more specific stats around the CFL. So uh, I, I think that could help with that crowd of the, the betting and the fantasy side of things as well. And I'll, I'll be, I'll be just to be upfront too. I'm not railing on the CFL saying, you know, they have problems. Like I'm always going to be a CFL fan through and through. It's, how do you attract the non-diehards, the ones that are just starting, and how do you retain them? Because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people, quite honestly, that are not even sports fans. They would be, there's two groups of sports fans. There's the diehards, there's the casual, and then for the lack of better term, the bandwagoners, but when the team does well, you know, they'll come and they'll support. How do you get less of the diehard? Because you always have your less of the diehards may have been even wrong, but your your core of fans will always be there. What are you doing to attract new fans? And I think that is something that the CFL will need to focus on. And I think it's going to have to be very interesting how this Nets TV deal with the CFL is going to work, and you know I, I'm curious what they're what they're going to do. I know it's up in a couple of years. Um, I'm very curious what they're going to do the next time around. Yeah, and, and you know, just to piggyback off of what you were saying there, in terms of the content that we do see currently, like I, my my bit of a rant there was not a knock on the content that you know any of the writers or. Uh, people working at the CFL office and managing the social accounts and that are doing, I think they're doing great work. I would just love to see more of it. If you know, they can get more hands on deck to produce more content uh, in those categories. I think that's, that's one of the keys to growing the league uh, in the CFL. But uh, so that's, that's kind of, I guess, our discussion on a lot of the things leading up to the gray cup week and, you know, the kind of the state of the league, uh, I say let's go back to talking about this game itself, and I don't even know where to begin with this game because the Bombers do win this one in overtime, as you mentioned, late game thrilling comeback here uh, for them. I believe it was twenty-two to ten. They were down at a point, uh, about twelve minutes left in the fourth quarter. Uh, they come back, they pull ahead, twenty-five twenty-two. And uh, Hamilton ties it on a field goal with six seconds left in the game. Bombers go on to win in overtime. Um, where do you want to start with talking about this game? Because I don't even know where to begin. Let's start at the beginning. I talked about the first half. And talked about uh, the first half in general, which I'm stunned with. This. I'll be honest, it was it was bad football. Uh, it was. I mean, the Bombers had a chance, right, to put the screws to this football game very, very early. Uh, if, if they take all the field goals that they get and turn those into touchdowns, easier said than done, of course. They are off and running long before 
long before this game even hits halftime. But that being said, um, you know the I think it was the two uh, the two field goals of uh, it as four nothing and then seven nothing and then uh, yeah, so it's just it was just a bizarre first half and then. The injury to Dane Evans and Jeremiah Mazzoli coming in, and I don't know if I tested you or if this was somebody else. Um, I was the last person that wanted to see Jeremiah Mazzoli in the football game. Um, Something about, you know, scrambling quarterbacks that made me crazy when it comes to, to the Bombers, and did Hamilton make the correct decision as to who was starting at quarterback? Yes, based on okay, Jeremiah Mazzoli got pulled in the East Final. Uh, Dane Evans comes off the bench, goes sixteen and sixteen, and leads them to a victory. And you know your decision was kind of made. And then all of a sudden it's Jeremiah's uh, game. And you're thinking, oh boy, you know, he's got the scrambling ability to try to turn this game around. And Hamilton's at home, and everything's kind of starting to go Hamilton's way. And, you know, I, I'm trying to think of a turning point in this game. And I think, Ryan, it was the the field goal. Well, Bobber's holding Hamilton to that field goal. Because uh, it was a very short field goal from uh, Demidala. Um, and then just making sure that that was a field goal at 22 to 10 instead of a touchdown at 26 to 10, which which I think is a completely different game. And, yeah, just just the way it happened was just, I don't know, it was like frustrating because I, I know the wind was a major issue, but it's like, Okay, guys, you're you're both better than this, and you know Hamilton's defense for me had a whole ton of question marks, and maybe that's that's where we can start too, because they were winning the uh, game without having you know Ted Laurent in, and they had guys basically all over the place where they're not in their normal positions, and. I'm surprised it took the Bombers as long as it did to exploit that. It was like, you know, you got guys out of position, like, put these guys to the test. And then it was like Winnipeg's defense not wanting to give this up, and it ended up becoming a defensive tug of war in the first half. Yeah, and that was... That first half, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, the first turning point in this game really was the Dane Evans injury and Jeremiah Mazzoli coming in. Uh, and I kind of wonder how long, if he didn't get injured, how long Evans would have stayed in this game. I mean, it was a, a pretty low scoring first half, uh, but it seemed like a night and day difference. You know, he finished the game with uh, not too much success there. Uh, four of nine for 24 yards and a pick. Uh, and then Jeremiah Mazzoli comes in and goes 20 of 25, 185 yards, two touchdowns and an interception, like a, a great come in performance, uh, come back for performance for Jeremiah Mazzoli, who just the week before was the starter 
and got pulled in kind of the inverse of this situation for Dane Evans, who came in and had a fantastic game. So kudos to both of these quarterbacks in back-to-back games for being able to come off the bench and uh, have just a, a dominant performance here. And it looked like Mazzoli was going to come in and uh, and lead the Ticats to the Grey Cup here victory here. He was moving the ball very well, uh, particularly in that second quarter. Uh, and as you mentioned, the wind was such a factor here where first quarter seemed like it was all bombers, even though they you know weren't really putting the points on the board. Then second quarter, that's when things shifted back in Hamilton's direction. You know, Mazzoli was playing really well. Uh, the Bombers were not playing their best ball there in the second half or in the second quarter and even in the third quarter when Hamilton had the wind again. And then fourth quarter, Bombers get the wind back. And then, you know, late game, that that ended up becoming a big factor in this game. So uh, I know Zach Caleros ended up winning Grey Cup MOP, but, uh, you know, uh, it might be in, a bit inconventional, but I say give it to the wind. Because I don't think anything but the wind. I think the wind had the biggest impact on this game out of anything. Yeah, and the coin toss. And people were saying Adam Beto's biggest win was the coin toss. Um, well, didn't I, t- didn't I text you during the game when we were losing, you know, third quarter? I'm like, it's okay. We won the coin toss. We got the wind. This is fine, right? Yeah. Yeah, well, see, the problem is, though, it's one thing to have the wind in the fourth quarter, but... You have to keep the game within striking distance to, mm-hmm. to get there. And that's why I said about my comment about, you know, 22-10, a lot better than 26-nothing. Because I think, you know, you're looking at realistically a three-possession game unless you can get two touchdowns and two two-point conversions. It's, the wind is one thing, Ryan, but you got to keep it within striking distance uh, to get there. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And uh, they managed to do that. You know, you had a couple, I think it was second quarter uh, where there were a couple Zach Caleros passes that were picked off um, that ended up, you know, turning the tide of the game in Hamilton's direction there. And, and this felt like a game that might, you know, that could have, un. I, I, I think for bomber teams of the past, I, I think a couple plays like that could have really unhinged this team. And, and I think to be fair for a lot of teams in the CFL, this could have spiraled pretty quick here, but, but this has to be a testament to just how good this team was this season that they were able to come back, make this late game, come back here uh, because it's the thing that Montreal failed to do two weeks ago or two games before that um, Toronto failed to do the week before that. And then the Bombers got it done here. You know, it was almost the exact same script. First quarter, Ticats uh, are being dominated on the field, but not on the scoreboard. They managed to hold it tight. Then they get in a groove and they don't look back. And it seemed like that same trend from the East semifinal and the East final was continuing here in this game until things changed there late in this fourth quarter. It's just very... It's remarkable, Ryan, when you think about it. I mean, I think 7 out of 10 CFL teams, realistically. Do we have a 10th one now? Is it, is it, are, the, are the scooters here? Well, 7 out of 10 CFL teams would let that affect them till the cows come home. You, you, you know what I mean? And just the mental fortitude of Zatalaos to 
Maybe it was the long halftime. Maybe it was something else. But to shake off those two interceptions, and that's just the remarkable thing. I think Zach Wiles threw almost as many interceptions in the playoffs as he did all regular season, which is just something that I don't know. Like, I, I still can't wrap my head around whether that's wind or, or circumstances, but credit to Zach Kowalski for staying the course and finding a way to say, you know what? Hey, it's 22-10. There's 12 minutes left. Yes, we've thrown two interceptions, and yes, we've turned the ball over and shot ourselves in the foot, you know, turned a few field goals into what should have been a few touchdowns if you're, you know, being very critical of, you know, those drives. But when the moment shone the brightest and the pressure was against the Bombers, and I, I, I don't know, we saw it against the Riders, Ryan, where it's like, you know, this team's against the wall. They look like they're done and in most circumstances would look done. I would say the two games that they were pushed the most all season was in the in the playoff games. And, you know, they were able to overcome that despite not being in very many situations this year where a rally was required. And I think that's, in my mind, what makes this even more remarkable. It's not like the Bombers had to come back and, oh, they had experience and say they came back to win three or four or five games. This is the first and second time all year, maybe the third time, if you want to point to a team in the regular season, but I can't recall one, where deficit rallies, you know, coming up large, and it's a credit to the defense. In that in that Ryder game in the West Final, the game could have been out of hand at halftime. Yes, they turned the ball over this time. They kept it within three points. I think it was a lot of the same deal here. They just kept fighting and scrapping and saying, we believe that offense can, can turn it around and play well to win the game. We have to keep it in striking distance and going to the fourth quarter. And I, as soon as that Dempsey uh, touchdown was on the board, uh, I, I said to people that I was watching, but I said, this is going to be remarkable. It, it, it's game on at that point. And, you know, once that offense finds its footing, Ryan, it's, it's, it, it's a pain of beauty, but <laughs> a pain of beauty and frustration as well. Yeah, and the latter half of this game almost turned into who's going to make the dumb decision last. Uh, I hate to say it. Uh, you had to wait in the third quarter. The Bombers decide to take a safety, and Hamilton goes up 19-10. to 10. Um, They do end up on the ensuing drive um, because they do need to kick it off, uh, you know, back to Hamilton, and they're still against the win. So the Ticats get the ball in pretty favorable uh field position here uh to start the uh start their next drive on the bomber side of the field uh they end up you know getting close to the end zone because they kick a 10-yard field goal that's uh, i think the big stand that you were talking about there but they're down 22 to 10 at that point i know i was saying after the safety and a lot of people were saying the same thing of 
Um, it just didn't seem like a wise decision, you know, to purposely go down two scores going into the fourth quarter here. You know, Hamilton puts up a touchdown there. Um, you're potentially looking at, you know, uh, needing two scores and two two-point converts just to tie uh, this late in the game. You know, they, they go down the field and they score anyways. I, I, I don't know how much of a difference it would have necessarily made if they ended up just punting the ball away for, instead of taking a safety there. I, I'm firmly in the crowd that you should never take a safety. Um, you should never willingly give up points to the other team. And it seemed a little bit puzzling almost to me, given just how strong the defense has been all season long. Um, that, you know, instead of purposely going down two scores, leave yourself at one here. Let your defense come up with the big stop. Hindsight's 20-20. The Bombers win this game. But that was my take on this decision. We'll get into Hamilton's in a second. Um, but you seem like you were on board with the safety uh, decision by the Bombers. Uh, what was your take on that? The Hamilton safety? Or? No, the, the Bombers taking the safety. Oh, okay. The, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to make sure we're talking about the right play. Um, I, I see it both ways. Um, you know, I, I didn't even really think about it, but the, the, the discussion has been about the you know, the Tim White teaching the single, uh, or White teaching the single there. Um, yeah, no, I know. I'm torn on that one. I, I think O'Shea has to... I mean, if you, if you think about it realistically, what wound up happening in the game? Would they gave up two and then gave up three? The alternative is you do not take the safety. You give them good field position. You more than likely, but not guaranteed, get some variation of a three and out. They either take a field goal, depending where they are, punch you deep, or... Oh, and then you start deep in territory or the 35 or 25-yard line hit your pit. This is just me thinking logically. I think if you can give up a safety, hit the ball, hold them to some kind of either zero or a field goal, you have a higher percentage just playing the field position at that point. And, you know, this is the bomber offense that was at the time showing signs of not being able to go long distances. I, I see it both ways, Ryan. I, like, I'm not that upset about, you know, the the safety touches disappointed as some people are. I, I, I see the painting there. And you have to know your team. You have to know, okay, you know, is giving up a safety going to be the detriment to a lot of scenarios that are playing in your head? And you have to go with what you think is the right call for your team. 
we talked about decisions till the cows come home for circumstances later on. But, you know, you just have to do what you think is right. And there's no game in my mind where decisions are more magnified than in a close race up game. If he didn't do this, this would have happened. If he didn't do this, that would have happened. If he would have done this, you may have had a chance. If he would have caught that long touchdown when he was wide open, that game would have changed. There's a lot of what-ifs. You have to make a decision, you have to stick with it, and you have to live with either the joy or the consequences of certain decisions. Knowing what you know is the right decision. And I'm not saying it's the right decision. I'm not saying it's the wrong decision. But for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers and Michael Shea, in that moment, the decision was to take the safety. Yeah, and unfortunately, uh, for the Ticats side of things, there's a decision here that uh, will loom large on the outcome of this football game. Uh, we talked about the impact of the wind. Uh, you know, we get into uh, just under six minutes left. The Bombers kick another field goal uh, to go up. Uh, or sorry, they, they complete that touchdown and Nick Dembski kick the convert. They're down 22-20. Sergio Castillo kickoff goes 79 yards over Tim White's head out the back of the end zone. And um, the Bombers get a single point there. Then they're down 22-21. Of course, if you're like me, you're thinking, uh, well, if we didn't take the safety, we'd be winning by one point here. Um, Hamilton gets the ball back, goes to and out. Bombers get a nice drive going, but end up with a uh, end up with a field goal here with uh, two minutes left to go up 24-22. And this is where the most controversial decision of the game comes. Uh, another kickoff by Sergio Castillo goes 76 yards. Uh, Tim White decides to go and concede the safety in the end zone or concede the single here in the end zone to put the Bombers up 25-22. Uh, Hamilton does go on, you know, they start their drive at the 35-yard line. They, they go on a two-minute drive, get down to the Bombers' two-yard line or six-yard line or wherever it was, Um Almost get it into the end zone, but third down, they kick the field goal from 13 yards out to tie the game, uh, which if, you know, they didn't concede that single would have won them the game. This is the decision that all the talk has been around this week, and I, I was baffled by it personally. I, I get... I get kind of what they were going for. You know, they were against the wind. You want to start at the 35-yard line, give yourself the best chance, you know, thinking you're going to need to get pretty close to kick a field goal here. But to me, I mean, just looking at the play, it almost seemed like Tim White had enough space to run to the 35-yard line by himself. Yeah, here's where I sit on that. And I've been going back and forth, and it's, I'm in the unfortunate position because my team was the benefactor, so of course it's easy to say, you know, it's the right call. But I think after thinking about it, nobody had shown any ability, really, realistically, to move the ball into the wind. 
that whole game leading up to that. He's probably thinking, okay, you know, give up a safety, give us a chance, or the single, sorry, give us a chance to get the overtime, get us some sure field position. Because I'm trying to put myself in his shoes. You know, there's so much going on. You have to make the split-second decision whether you're going to catch the ball, give up the point, or run. There is a lot of scenarios that run into your mind in that scenario, and you have to make a decision that, you know, has consequences no matter what, just like what I discussed uh, a few minutes ago. And I don't know if his mind was racing to the point where it's almost like he thought he was in the NFL where you can do that without the consequence of a point. But I'm wondering, did he know that there was a point, you know, awarded there until he was maybe told on the bench? Because it's it's like we see in the CFL preseason, right? The younger American players, the rookies aren't necessarily aware of the 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 game within the game, if you will, and the courts that make the CFL the CFL. But I'm probably of the mindset that I would have probably done the same thing, or at least given my guy the option. Hey, if you see the if you see the room, you can run. If not, we'll take our chances on on the 35 yard line. But just one condition: make sure you have possession of the football. Yeah. Uh, I want the offense to dwell. Because it's another thing to say. You know what? I'm gonna tip it to them, and I'm gonna run down the field. What if I'm running and a guy hits me and I lose the football? And then you sure have no chance to. Uh, come back to then the bombers take possession, right? So there's a lot of variables. But I would say, okay, but if you see the option to get to the thirty five or beyond, go for it. My only caveat is make sure you hang on to the football at all costs. Yeah, and, and Hamilton you know, they got a pretty good drive going here late in the game here. And and the Grey Cup was in their hands, you know, sixteen seconds left. Uh, second down pass, second and six to Jalen Acklin, and huge play by Deatric Nichols, a, a, a rookie who came in this year and played phenomenal there in the secondary for the Bombers, as, as many guys did. Uh, huge play there. They end up settling for the field goal. Uh, this ends up going to overtime. The Bombers go on to win. This has to be like, this is a heartbreaker for the Thai Cats. I feel for the Thai Cats. I feel for Thai Cats fans uh, to. You know, they having the drought that they have now, you know, yes, our, the Bombers drought was longer. So certainly we know what that feels like. Um, but they've had so much success in recent years. I, I saw a stat somewhere online the other day. You know, last eight seasons, Ticats have been to the Grey Cup four times. They've lost in the East Final twice. Like, there's been arguably no team more consistently good in the last decade, perhaps outside of Calgary, than the Ticats. They just haven't been able to get it done. And, you know, I go back to, I think it was 2014 against Calgary. They had a heartbreaker in the Grey Cup there. Brandon Banks, kick return, touchdown, called back uh, due to a penalty, and they go on to lose that game. 
this is just another one uh, for the Ticats here. And, and it, I think this has got to be the biggest sting of a way to lose a game, perhaps since, uh, you know, the 13th man for the Riders back in 2009, where the game is just in your grasp there at the final second and you're in full control and just come so close. So definitely a heartbreaker for the Ticats there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I sincerely hope for Ticats fans that they get their gray cup and end that drought sometime soon because uh, this has been a good football team. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk more once we get into the offseason and such. But, but this is a team where I'm really interested to see the direction it goes next year because they've got a lot of veterans there that, you know, have been around there for a long time. Uh, you know, there's been discussions about uh, will head coach Orlando Steinauer be back? We know uh, we know one of their, you know, general managers, Sean Burke, is off to Ottawa already. I think this is going to be a bit of a different team next year, and it almost felt like the window – this was the window for the Ticats to get it done here and fall just short. Uh, it certainly is a painful thing to watch in that regard. I think it's very interesting the direction of these two teams because if you look at the rosters, if I should just pull the Bombers into this scenario, but I think it applies to them too. The two teams with the most continuity roster-wise from 2019, I think, are Hamilton and Winnipeg. Would that yep. be fair? Yep, 100%. Okay, so it's not really a surprise that continuity got these teams to the Great Cup. Correct? Yeah, I would agree, especially with a year off and all the unknowns. and Not a shortened season and having to hit the ground running. It would have been devastating no matter who lost, who won and lost this game. And I think it would have been um, consequential for the loser no matter what. Um, Hamilton banked on that 15-3 and three season being, you know, their great top. The Bombers went in there and uh, pulled off the upset. Hamilton tried to do the same and have the game in hand and there's something about bringing the core back and losing two times once when you're the favorite and once when you're I guess what was a slight underdog if, if depending which betting line you you want to go with there is going to have to be changes I think for both teams I think I'm struck by something. I don't know if you saw the uh, celebration at IG Field and Kyle Walter basically promising that he's going to try to bring most of these guys back. There is, I don't want to say fantasy, there's wishes and wants versus what I think is reality. And I, I, I think, to, to be completely honest, you're going to have to do a sell job on Culture and O'Shea and Winnipeg and to just try to convince you guys to leave less money on the table to do this a third time. Whereas just pulling this to Hamilton for a minute, you have two devastating uh, great cup losses. The one where you're quite honestly the heavy favorite. 
And I don't think it becomes any more demoralizing than losing a great cup the way you did at home. Uh, that just adds misery. That just adds to the salty feelings when, you know, you in large part have that in control. So I think, yes, I think this was Hamilton's last chance to, with this group anyway, but that's the CFL. It's, I think I read somewhere we have like 308 or so free agents, which is just absurd. Um, I know the Bombers only have four or five starters on their contract, all the rookies. That were basically starters or other contract. That's it. Uh, that's another problem that I think the league has to address. But that's a that's a two headed problem. Um, so yeah, I think Hamilton going to be completely different. I think Winnipeg is going to be different. I think to bring everybody back uh, is not is not uh, as much as you want it. I just I'm not. Holding out hope that it's going to happen. I think a large portion of the guys will be bad, but to the number of what's bad from 2019, I'm not sure. And that's the nature of the thing for Hamilton, too. There was a lot of free agents, so it's not like you have to tear the building down, put a new structure, uh, and basically make it a three or four or five year rebuild like, like you would probably in hockey. This is can be done very, very quickly. And I think if you use the example of Ottawa, you know, the one year they were bad, not, not great, they went on a spending spree, brought in all those free agents, Ellenson, Harris, just to name a few, and they wound up being in the great cup. Lots can happen over the course of a year. And now I think the other wild card to this West Division I'm sure we'll talk about this later on. Chris Jones and how quick he can turn around Edmonton, given the free agents and all these players that if you read social media that are excited and want to play for him, it'll be very interesting. And Hamilton did turn this around very, very quickly. Um, despite all their free agents and this quote-unquote rebuild they have to go through, I expect Hamilton to be there next year again and it's 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 sometimes you take your chance with one group it doesn't work so you say okay you can bring back this group to try again absolutely i would have done the same thing it's when the second time trying to make it work the second time doesn't work and the emotional baggage that comes with that of Oh, we're in another great cup, and it's going to end up with the same result. How many times did the Bombers lose the great cup after 1990? A lot. A lot. 2001, 2007, 2011. 2011. Just the way Hamilton loses the great cup, it's remarkable. I think it's time for a change just to get rid of the bad stench that you know, it's just what, uh, it's a great group, but just that emotional heartbreak of 
you know, being expected to win and then, you know, losing that win. For the record, Ryan, I'm not taking that field goal in the fourth quarter. I'm going for it on third down. The, the, one, with, odd, the one with six seconds left? Absolutely, I'm going for it. <laughs> absolutely, I'm going for it. I doubt the Bombers' defense on skates at that point. Okay, that one, that one, I can't agree with you with. Sorry, as much as you know, I, I'm I'm of the mindset, you know, you play to win. Um, you 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 miss that third down conversion there, and people are talking about that decision for a lifetime. To be fair, you make it, you make it, and you score the touchdown, you win. People are talking about it for a lifetime for a different reason. So um, that point of the game, though. It's not like you gave yourself a chance in overtime either. Well, you did at least still. You you have a chance. You get to, it's not like the NFL where you know you win the coin toss in overtime and you win the game uh in a lot of cases. Like you still have you get to overtime, you have a chance no matter what, right? Um, and that's definitely the decision they made there at the end of the game. And I get that decision. It, it would have been, you know, fun to see, it would have been gutsy. And, and I do like to see that from time to time, but uh, I do not fault the tie cats for taking the field goal there with six seconds left to tie the game. Yeah. See, see, we're going to, we're going to disagree on that. On that path, I think uh, as long as time goes on, but I'm just seeing it from the standpoint of you got one of the greatest uh, Canadian football league defenses you know, on the ropes. You know, one of the greatest Canadian football teams in in recent memory. Uh, in the Blue Bombers, who really only lost one game all year, take away the games that they were that they had already clinched. For me, I think you take it right to the spot and you take your chances on that play because Demar uh, Alford who made that play. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was Nichols, Deatric Nichols. Uh, Deatric Nichols. If he doesn't get a finger in there, Bombers don't win the great cup. And that is the completion until Nichols gets in there to change the trajectory of that play. I, For me, I take my chances right there at the at the yard line and, and try, try to win it. I like it. I like the ballsy move there uh, that you're suggesting. I wouldn't have done it, but I do like the thought process there. Um, one of the plays that will be forever ingrained in the highlight reel is the final play of this game, the interception by Kyrie Wilson that was a triple interception tandem team effort I don't know what you want to call it I can't even accurately describe it you know a pass to Jalen Aquin from Jeremiah Mazzoli uh, I forget who had the initial tip on it but then another uh, one bomber defender had a tip on it one scooped it up into the air Kyrie Wilson comes down with it was that not just the embodiment of this entire season for the bombers to have you know it's been all about the defense this year all season long and you know the defense as a whole we had, you know, defensive player of the year. I think you could have had three or four different guys on the Bombers nominated, and they all come together to make that big play. Uh, put that, put the play in the Hall of Fame. It was uh, a spectacular interception, and even more so 
with the uh, the monumental aspect of the the timing of it as well to go on and end this game. Uh, MVP and, or MOP and most outstanding Canadian in this game go to the MOP goes to Zach Caleros of the Bombers. Uh, who stat line here, 21 of 32, 240 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, most outstanding Canadian goes to Nick Dembski, uh, who had four catches on nine targets, 27 yards, and that big touchdown. Uh, and then also two carries for negative one yard. Uh, I, I think they got to stop the end around sweeps. They just weren't working. Uh, but that's a whole different uh, discussion. Um, what did you think of these decisions for the most outstanding and most out player and Canadian? For Canadian, I don't think there was a lot of choice, honestly. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to trying to think realistically. Uh, Andrew Harris, okay. Well, he had an okay game, I thought. Mind you, Harris was Harris in the fourth quarter, got some big, big yards. Um, certainly didn't have the impact that he had in 19. Uh, Dembski had the touchdown to start the rally. Maybe that was the, the, the line of thinking there. My issue here, and I, I don't want to go on a tangent because I know some of the people that voted for Grey Cup MVP. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this in a general sense. The easy decision, I don't want to say it's the top out because that would be a little bit harsh. The easy decision for award voters is to put the quarterback or the running back in Super Bowl or Great Cup MVP. And they have the most impact on the game. Fair. That's just the way it is. If you watch the CFL, if you watch the NFL, if you watch the Super Bowl, more times than not, the player of the game is the running back or the quarterback. It's just, just the way it is. I'm a little bit disappointed that they overlooked Sergio Castilla. And to me, he went the MVP because if he doesn't make any of those field goals early on, and even late, to me, the money kit, we're not even having this discussion if Castilla doesn't make that field goal in the fourth quarter to put the Bombers up. You want to talk about the dive at single-handed, no, not single-handedly, but the guy that was most valuable to his team in the win. To me, this is Tistia. And I understand the logic of, oh, it's the quarterback, it's the running back. I, I understand that. I really do. But if you look in that moment, in that moment alone, could have been the interception being the most important. Could have been the field rover with the most important one. But I did the field rover with the most important. There's notion that the MVP needs to go to a quarterback or a running back in football is kind of getting tiring because everybody else that does remarkable work away from a quarterback to keep the team in the game. You know, you could have given it to, to somebody on the defense for keeping them in the game because it's one thing to be, you know, 26 versus 22 to 10 and really giving your team a chance to stay in the team. But there's logic, but it has to be a quarterback every time. It, it, it's it's befuddling to me. The MVP, in my mind, was Sergio Castilla because he saved the season because the Bombers realized that they, need, they needed to up their kicking game 
improve their kicking game to have a chance in this game. We do not win this game with anybody else but Sergio Castilla as our kicker in my mind, especially the way the season started. So that is why Sergio Castilla should have been the MVP, and it makes me a little bit crazy that it always has to be a quarterback or a running back. I understand it, but don't agree with it. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. He was the clear... Uh, most deserving of that to me as well. Five of five on field goals. I think I kind of tongue-in-cheek check, uh, texted you after the game and said, uh, give MVP to Ali Mortada and Mark Leggio for uh, missing just enough field goals early enough in the season for them uh, to go and bring Castillo in at the last moment um, because that, it made a world of a difference. And it's kind of fitting that, you know, the the, the game – goes this way where they need to rely on the kicker after that being their kryptonite all season long and he pulls them out the win uh honorable mention to me for mvp uh first of all i guess from the hamilton side of things i think no question in my mind if the tie cats won this game jeremiah mazzoli would have been the mop after yep. his performance when he came in and that would have been very well deserved um honorable mention for me on the bomber side of things is darvin adams five catches seven targets 61 yards and the touchdown. I believe he had the overtime touchdown there. Uh, Adams has kind of been an afterthought in this offense this year. You know, all the talk's been on Kenny Waller, Nick Dembski, Rasheed Bailey in the receiving corps. And Adams has been, you know, one catch, maybe two catches uh, a game uh, for the most part here and there, but relatively quiet. Uh, he's, the, you know, the longest standing veteran, I think, of this uh, this receiving crew here. And uh, stepped up a big way in the big game here. And uh, so I want to give him an honorable mention and some recognition for that. Yeah, no, I I agree with that entirely. Um, it's Yeah, you know, it's interesting how individual game performances sometimes but there's this notion in sport. I'm trying to wrap my head around the spot so it conveys properly. There's also the notion that every MVP needs to come from the winning team. There has been performances where, in my mind, the MVP has been somebody on the losing side. I understand it's not tradition to... You know, when MVP losing the game, it's always all, you know, you present the trophy with the, you know, with the winning team's MVP. We need to be more open to handing out MVP to losing teams, uh, players as well. And if that's the team MVP, that's the team MVP. Yeah, I can't disagree there. A lot, a lot of times we do see that. Like, I think Jeremiah Mazzoli uh, was a very deserving candidate here in this game. And, uh, you know, the 108th Grey Cup ends uh, definitely a classic, as we mentioned. One of, uh, certainly one of the best ones I have seen uh, over my time as a CFL fan. And uh, Bombers go in to, on to win back-to-back championships. Um couple quick minutes here just wrapping up the season as a whole before we head into the off season um i gotta give kudos to the cfl for getting through this season during this uh this global pandemic because 
Certain, well, first of all, they got pretty darn lucky that the uh, they got the big game in just in time, considering, you know, provinces across the country are now pretty much locking down again uh, a week or two after that. So uh, we got lucky that the big Grey Cup game uh, was still able to be played uh, and uh, they finished off the season here with only one game rescheduled due to COVID. There were very minimal outbreaks throughout the season. Uh, we've seen quite a few of them across other leagues as well. Uh, you know, there was a lot of flack on the CFL last season uh, for not playing last year while all of the other major sports leagues were able to give it a go. Uh, kudos to them on bringing it back this year, especially with all the discussion, you know, can the CFL come back from this, all those talks with the merger with the XFL and what was going to happen there. Uh, you know, it was an extra long off season last year and, and there was a lot of talk and then all of a sudden August 5th came around and, and CFL football was back on and, uh, and yes, scoring was down, uh, but I think we also saw some great defensive play throughout the year. But uh, I thought it was a great bounce back year after the year off for the CFL and, you know, to, to have the right protocols in place and have the players, you know, follow them pretty well to the extent they did that the season went off uh, pretty much without a hitch besides uh, that one outbreak for the Elks. Um, Got to give a round of applause to the CFL for that. And, you know, we talked last year or kind of in the off season about, you know, what it was like with not having the CFL the season before. Um, and I think I had kind of mentioned, you know, uh, I, lo I love the CFL, but I didn't really during the time off, Feel I, I, I kind of surprised myself in that I didn't necessarily miss it as much as I thought I would because I, I just had so many other things going on. Um, I, I'm so happy the CFL was back this year. That That's my sum up of the season. That's all I have to say. Uh, the season started. We hit the ground running. I, I had a blast this whole season long, and I cannot wait for the 2022 season, which the schedule is out, by the way already if uh, if you haven't seen that i'm sure we'll do a podcast episode later next or getting closer to the start of the season going over the schedule there but that's my sum up of the year is so good to have the cfl back fantastic season in a tough situation and uh let, let's get another good season under us next year and just i don't want to get too political with covid19 uh but i just cannot believe the timing because if the game is a week later, I'm not even sure it gets played with everything going on right now. Yeah, yeah, that that was awfully close. And I wonder what they would have done in that situation, uh, you know, to be in the finals and then not be able to play the game. But uh, we got lucky. Like I said, we got really lucky with that. And, and I think everybody talks about, you know, the CFL not being able to buy a break. That would be one of them. That would be one of them that went to CFL's way. Absolutely. Uh, any final thoughts from you on the 2021 season before we wrap this up here, Mike? Yeah, you know what? I have uh, thoughts on the season, and then I have a question that I want to throw to you. Uh, my thoughts my are uh, very, very interesting uh, season. Uh, I expected the Bombers to have a dead season, um, but not not what we saw. Um, the defense in the fourth quarter, I don't have the final count on points allowed in the fourth quarter. 
Um, absolutely remarkable. Um, I don't think I don't think we'll see anything like that um, again for a while, uh, unless they find a way to bring everybody back. But again, I don't think that performance can be re- replicated. Uh, the one thing I did learn about the Bombers this year is that it's important to not overreact to things. Can you imagine where this would be now is if three years into this O'Shea Walters regime, Wade Miller would have said, that's it? All the heat on Richie Hall. Yeah, if we would have fired Richie Hall, I doubt we'd have this. The, the gumption that Wade Miller has to see this plan through is just remarkable. And it's built the Bombers into a, the premier franchise of the CFL, or one of them anyway. As for the CFL as a whole, boy, was it nice to have that on the field. Uh, nice to have rivalries. Nice to have, you know, a bit more normal, bit of normal bat. I, I got to admit, as much as I said I think on the preseason show that I found other things to do in the summertime with my time and watch CFL, but there's just something about Canadian football that goes so well with Canadian summers, and I'm hoping the teams that were near the bottom of the standings is uh, this year, uh, continue to build, continue to progress, and better it'll become an even more competitive CFL. That's that's kind of my my major takeaways. Yeah, fantastic season, fantastic finish in the playoffs and the Grey Cup here. Uh, now we shift over kind of into off-season mode going forward. Uh, and what that's going to look like from the podcast side of things is uh, this will be it for 2021. So uh, taking a break off for the holidays, of course. Uh, and then the hope is starting in January. And, and I promise this every year. Um, and I kind of dropped the ball in on a lot of them. So uh, I do apologize for that. But uh, I'm committed to it this time um, to try to get content out regularly throughout the offseason um so what it's going to look like you know starting in january i think we're going to bring some guests in here on the podcast maybe do a bit more of a season deep dive on some of these different teams uh from this season different topics and things like that uh because you know just from our recording setup we haven't really been able to have any guests in here all year and there are some great uh great folks from around the canadian football podcast network and of course uh others as well that we would love to have on here um, so we'll try to start coordinating some of that. Um, that'll start in January and then February, we've got the, uh, the usual free agency show, uh, that we do, uh, every year. Uh, I don't, I don't think we're going to do the six hour live show like we did last year. Uh, I don't think that's in the cards this time around, but we will for sure have something around CFL free agency. And, uh, of course, Mike and I, I'm sure. We'll have a lot of great discussions around then as well. Uh, and then, of course, further into the offseason, we'll, we'll see what the content looks like at that point. But that's the plans for the near future here, at least on the podcast. Uh, as we wrap things up for 2021, a great year it's been. 
Uh, it's been a joy doing this podcast this year once again. We appreciate everybody who's followed along all season. Mike, I appreciate you, my co-host, my friend. Uh, it's always a blast talking CFL football with you. And I know you've always got so much going on, so I appreciate you making time for this uh, early in the mornings as of late, uh, 8 o'clock a.m. on Wednesdays, we start recording this. Uh, Mike literally got out of bed five minutes before we started today. So uh, thank you very much for that, good sir. And uh, as we wrap things up here, uh, any final thoughts from you for this season or for this year? And uh, where can people find everything you've got going on these days? Yeah, you know what? I, I have a question for you, Ryan. I I know it's didn't tend to test you off guard, but I have to ask the question uh, just because I'm curious. Um, and if you could keep your answer to two minutes or less, that would uh, really help for time constraints. My question is the following. If you're both the CFL and the CFLPA, we know that the CBA needs to be negotiated uh, going into next season as a result of COVID and the CBA just expiring. What is one change that you would like to see from either group's position in two minutes or less? Oh, and boy. I'll, I'll get you to start with the CFL. What is one thing in the CFL that you want change but you will not but that's kind of, for lack of a better term, the hill you'll die on. You're really putting me on the spot to end off the year here, eh? Ooh. Hmm. I, I think for me, and maybe this ties into both sides, this is kind of what you were talking about earlier on, but I would like to see something in this negotiation for both sides around you know, doing something contract wise that ends up with more stability on rosters, because you look at the free agent list, basically everybody on the riders free agent list is, um, is a free agent. Basically everybody on the team, besides, I think you mentioned last week, uh, like Cody Fajardo and, uh, and the rookies, pretty much everybody on the bombers is a free agent this year. You know, it's the same across the league. Um, I would like to see some more stability. I think that helps with the fan perspective of things too. Uh, you know, I don't have any uh, player name on the back of my jerseys. And, you know, it's, it's that's a sentiment shared by a lot of people as well that we, you know, it's hard to put a name on the back of the jersey when players stick around for a year or two and then change teams. Uh, so I would like to see some more stability there. We have seen, I think, more, a little more lately, some of these three, four-year contracts, um, which is good to see. But also, you know, maybe something needs to be done there around the fact uh, of making teams honor those contracts and not just being able to cut somebody at will, because I'm sure we'll see that in the offseason right before bonus day. We'll see a bunch of players cut so they don't have to be paid their bonuses, which is a load of garbage to me. Um, so that's one big thing I, I will say I would like to see changed, uh, something around that. And then the other thing I think is the coach's cap. Um, you know, we, we don't have the time here today because we are almost out of time to talk about, you know, the, the Chris Jones hire in Edmonton and Sean Burke in Ottawa as the GMs there. Um, but the quick note on that is I feel like Edmonton was kind of heavy handed there, just given the cap situation after letting Elizondo uh, letting uh, Sunderland go, 
to get a guy in who could do both coach and manager just to fit under the coach's cap. And Chris Jones is the best short-term solution to that. I don't think he's a great long-term solution, despite him saying he's going to stick around for four years. But uh, I feel like we see this over and over again, that uh, teams are a little bit, you know, uh, stuck in a situation given the coach's cap. So I would like to see that removed to allow more flexibility there to uh, allow more additions to help grow the grow the talent on the field. That is what everybody shows up to watch. So I, I don't know if that was two minutes. I don't know if that fully answered your question, but that's my answer. Yeah, no, I, that, that's kind of where I thought you would go on that. And it's just a thought that I had uh, in my head when we're talking about changes versus non-changes and and not necessarily the rules of the team, but the economics of the team. Absolutely. Well, Mike, you want to tell us uh, what you all got going on these days and where everybody can find all that? Yeah, what's taking up all my time is a little venture that people know on the podcast that's turned into a lot more than I thought it would. Uh, Own and operate uh, Game Time TV uh, streaming platform uh, for local sports teams. In the province, pay-per-view model uh, for most games, although we do do some games on free preview. Um, yeah, so that's consuming a lot more of my time uh, than I thought it would, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, it's been a really rewarding experience. You can find uh, information, facebook.com, backslash, game time, TVMB. You can find us on Instagram, uh, game time, TVMB. And you can find it on the website, gametimetv.ca. Appreciate all the support to date. Uh, we're having record uh, numbers in the first half of the season here. And uh, hopefully things are able to still continue after Christmas. To the, that's some pretty big stuff planned uh, both now and in the future. So I, I appreciate the support to date. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at Mike L, probably tweeting about something about what I'm doing, or hockey or football. And I just wanted to say it's been a great year with the podcast and being able to interact with a lot of you guys uh, has really made my time uh, enjoyable. Well said, my friend. Uh, kudos on all the great work you're doing there with Game Time TV. Everybody, make sure you check that out as well for all of your local Manitoba sports. Uh, for myself, uh, alongside this podcast, I do also produce a YouTube channel called the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix. You can find that over on YouTube as well. Um, talking through the, uh, the fan CFL fantasy side of things uh, each and every week. Uh, there, well, there's no games to preview in the off season. That doesn't mean the content isn't going to be there. Uh, I do have plans to, uh, keep that going throughout the off season as well. Uh, in fact, uh, late in December here yet, we'll, uh, wrap the year up with the uh, CFL fantasy awards show, uh, that I am currently prepping for that. So look forward to that. And then more content throughout the offseason. Uh, there's a video up there, the most recent one at this point, uh, detailing all of the plans for that. Check out the Canadian Football Fantasy Fix. Had a great season doing that and lots of plans for next year with that as well. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter for all of that info. Also at Cooper Trooper 42. That starts with a K in case you don't know. Um, 
because some people, a lot of people think my last name starts with a C. I feel like K is really uncommon there, but uh, so I, I always feel the need to clarify that. Um, you can find all that info there. You can follow us on Twitter at CFC on Mike FM. You can find us on Facebook as well. Uh, the Canadian football countdown there, of course. Uh, and on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, please like, subscribe, comment, review, rating, leave a note. Uh, I don't know what the terms are on all the different platforms, but uh, do all of the things that you would do to help grow a podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. And uh, make sure you check out all the other great shows from around the Canadian Football Podcast Network as well. Uh, it's been a fantastic season there uh, from all the different shows. Uh, lots of great CFL content, and I'm sure lots of great content to come in the offseason as well. Uh, one other thing on that to note, uh, congratulations to Joe Pritchard of the Rouge, White & Blue podcast, who is the, uh, the winner of the second annual Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy League does take down Andrew from the turf district in the finals. So uh, the, the championship belt is going to the States uh, to Joe who uh, had himself a fantastic run down the stretch of the season and in the playoffs to capture the title there. So congrats there. Make sure you check out all the other great shows at CF pod network on Twitter is where you can find all of that. Well, for one final time here this season, we appreciate you listening. Thanks for following along all season long. We hope you all have a fantastic holiday season. Mike, I hope you have a fantastic holiday season as well. And uh, we will talk to you all in the new year. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Coop saying thank you for listening. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.